Thank you, Wendy. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's a, a wonderful day um, to celebrate in, uh, I guess, our church calendar. In some ways, it's the most important day uh, because Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. And that's what we're going to be looking at um, this morning. Uh, I'm going to start off with a poem from John Donne. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overflow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which by thy pictures be much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls' delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings and desperate men, and dost with poison, war and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well. And better than thy stroke, why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Well, as I said, that's a poem by John Donne called Death Be Not Proud. Now, I know the language is even more dated than I am, but hopefully you can still get the gist of the message. Don't be proud, death, because you don't get the final say. After a short sleep, we wake again eternally. But isn't that just wishful thinking? Isn't it just a pipe dream to comfort ourselves in the face of the dreadful finality of death? A desperate attempt to distract ourselves from the cold fact that every skerrick of hope and meaning in this world is swallowed up by the grave? That's what we do all the time, isn't it? I'm sure you've been to funerals where you've heard people say things like, ah, he's in a better place now, or she's now at peace. Many of us in our culture say those things without having any solid reason to think why there is any hope beyond death. But Easter Sunday gives us a hard, solid reason for hope. The stone rolled away, leaving an empty tomb, is the real physical event of God breaking into human history to destroy the despair of death. Jesus defeating death is the dramatic sign of God's kingdom coming, reversing the curse of Adam, bringing life instead of death as the king begins to crush his enemies, which includes death itself. Why don't you join me as we pray before we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you that the empty tomb followed from the cross on that Friday night. Father, we thank you that that empty tomb brings hope. Hope beyond anything that the world can give us. 
And we pray that you would speak to us now today about that hope, that it would be for us a sure hope, a hope that changes us, a hope that we have for all eternity. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got three points this morning. Uh, If you want to follow along on the outline, it's on whatever the link is, go.sweck.com.au slash outline, I think. Um, Three points are, the, uh, the, the first point is that the resurrection is a winding back of the clock to a new beginning. It's a return to the Garden of Eden for a fresh start. And then secondly, we'll explore briefly how how Adam in the first garden brought death and despair. But then thirdly, how Jesus' resurrection brings a reversal of that and a new beginning that turns despair into hope. So that's where we're going this morning. We'll be looking at those two passages. Um, The first point is a return to the garden. So as Wendy read to us, we heard the story of, those, of that Easter Sunday. On the same day that Jesus was crucified on Friday night, a man named Joseph, who was a follower of Jesus, asked if he could take Jesus' body down to bury him before Sunday, sundown. Rather. The next day was the Sabbath, which for the Jews was a day that they couldn't do any work. So it was important for them to be able to get the body down and and get Jesus' body in the tomb before the Sabbath began, which began at nightfall. So they hurried to the tomb that Joseph owned. The tomb was basically a cave above ground with a stone sealing the entrance. They put his body in the cave. They rubbed his body with spices wrapped him in burial cloths and left him there in the tomb. John adds a little detail about the tomb, which might sound like a little strange addition. Why is it there? In chapter, in verse 41 of, verse, of um, John 19, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been hid, hidden been laid sorry the tomb was in a garden a little detail but a significant one that we'll come back to shortly so Jesus is buried before the Sabbath then as soon as the Sabbath is over uh, very early on the on the uh, on the Sunday morning when people can move again move around again and, and uh, freely and do work the disciples visit Jesus tomb We read that Mary Magdalene is the first one there. She sees that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. She doesn't know what to make of it, so she runs back to get Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They go in and find that it's empty. The burial cloths are there, but no Jesus Peter and John go back home excited but yet not yet fully understanding what's happened. But Mary stays at the tomb. She's upset, thinking that someone had stolen the body. But then she sees Jesus standing there, 
Let's pick it up from chapter 20, verse 14. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Again, notice the reference to the garden. Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. But then when he calls her name, the penny drops and she sees Jesus alive. Well, that night Jesus also appears to the other disciples and they are overjoyed. Jesus then sends them off with a mission. John 20, 21, peace be with you, he says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mission is a new beginning for the disciples. His resurrection has given them a new hope after the despair that they felt at his death. But it's bigger than just a new start for the disciples because it's a new beginning for the world. And that's where the garden comes in. The first garden was back in Genesis it was the beginning for human beings. The first man and the first woman were put in the garden with God. In a moment we'll see though that that project ends in disaster because they disobeyed God and reaped the consequences for their action. Banishment from the garden and death coming into the world. But Jesus' resurrection is a new beginning in a new garden. Jesus' mission given to the disciples is to do what Adam failed to do, to expand God's rule on earth. Notice that Jesus breathes life into them as he gives them his spirit. You may remember back in the beginning, God breathed life into Adam as well. So this is a new creation. The garden is where God dwelt with Adam but this garden with the empty tomb is where Jesus begins his presence and rule with his people a new beginning was needed because the first garden didn't end well and that's our second point despair and death were brought through Adam in the first garden our original father made a disastrous decision when he and Eve took the fruit and ate it. And it didn't just affect the two of them because the Bible makes it clear that death came to all people, every one of us, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam became our father in that we all inherit his fatal flaw. Now, the older I get, the more I see that I inherit from my father. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those things tend to be his shortcomings. Um, one of the more obvious things that I've inherited from my father is my eyesight. Uh, I used to make fun of dad as a lad 
when he would hold things at arm's length when he didn't have his reading glasses so he could read them. Um, now, my family mock me when I do exactly the same thing. But what we all inherit from our original father, Adam, is far more serious and something that has far more profound consequences. Our natural inclination to sin has led to death hanging over each one of us. And while we live in this life, it infects everything we do like an insidious cancer that eats away at us. Sin causes us to turn away from God, to ignore him, to rebel against him, to count him as our enemy. And sin infects our relationships with each other as well, leading to jealousy, suspicion, relationships being ruined by our selfishness, our desire to manipulate and control for our own benefit. And sin affects our work, our play, our sleep. There is not a part of life in this world that has not been infected by sin and the ugliness and evil where God intended goodness and joy. Friends, perhaps you're here today feeling the effects of sin. You may be someone who doesn't yet trust in Jesus, but perhaps you've come here searching for answers because you realise that life is hard and full of pain. Perhaps that pain is self-induced, bad decisions or, or broken relationships, or perhaps you've been sinned against by others. Perhaps you're suffering because of the effects of sin in a wider sense, sickness or pain that's beyond your control. I want to say, if that's you, that I am glad you're here. Because my next point is good news. It's God's message of hope today on Easter Sunday. It's the message of the resurrection. It's the message of a new beginning that Jesus brings into the world to undo the effects of the first Adam. Let's take a look now at our second passage from the Bible from the book of 1 Corinthians. Join with me to look at verse 21. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus undid the curse of Adam and his death that we remembered a couple of days ago. Sorry, uh, through his death that we remembered a couple of days ago when Jesus went to the cross on that first Good Friday. And then the, what he did on the cross is sealed and proven by his resurrection. The sin of Adam led to sin affecting every single person in the world. But what Jesus did is a wonderful mirror image of Adam working in the opposite way. His resurrection also affects every person 
every single person who trusts in him to undo their sins. Everyone born to the first Adam died just as Adam died. But everyone born to Jesus, the second Adam, that is everyone who puts their faith in him as their saviour and king, will be resurrected just as Jesus rose from the dead. Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, goes on to explain when this resurrection will happen. Verse 23, But each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What this is saying is that Jesus' resurrection came first and it's a guarantee that our resurrection will follow. When will it follow? It will follow when he returns again. We don't know when that will be, but it's guaranteed to come. And it also tells us what the resurrection will be like. Jesus is described as the first fruits. Now, I don't know if you've ever had any experience growing uh, fruit trees uh, or not. Perhaps you've been to an orchard uh, and you've seen uh, a tree beginning to fruit or, or perhaps it's fully in fruit. But when, when I um, say, say you grow an apple tree, when the fruit appears, it doesn't, always, it doesn't all appear at once. Uh, you, you might get one or two apples. They're the first fruits. And from that fruit, you know what the other fruit's going to be like. Now, the other apples might be bigger or smaller, but they're still the same, going to be the same kind of apple, aren't they? Uh, if you get a red apple appearing, you know all the other apples are going to be red apples. You're not going to get pears or peaches on that same tree. And so Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of what will follow for us as well. He rose with a physical body, like this body, but perfect, imperishable. And we're going to get the same kind of body as well. Jesus' resurrection is a pattern of our resurrection that will happen in the future. And Jesus' resurrection is a sign of a new beginning. It's not just about God giving us an eternal future with new bodies. It's also the first fruit or the sign that God is bringing in his kingdom and making all things new. And that work will have its wonderful climax when Jesus returns and he brings in the new creation. In our passage, Paul tells us what this will involve when Jesus returns. Verse 24, when the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after, he, or sorry, then the end will come, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrection is good news, not just because it shows us that God has defeated death. And this is wonderful news in itself. It means that the sense of despair and foreboding that we all feel or will feel at some point in our lives because of the prospect that everything that is dear to us, relationships with our spouse, your parents, 
your children, your friends, one day they will be snatched from us and a part of who we are is cruelly ripped away from us like we are torn apart. The resurrection tells us that that death doesn't have the final word. But the resurrection means more than that as well. That empty tomb on Easter Sunday also tells us that what Jesus did on the cross is finished. He died to pay the cost of our sin, to undo its power, to defeat Satan because his weapon was sin, using it to drive a wedge between us and God. Now that it's gone, Jesus did what his father had sent him to do. Having disarmed the powers of evil, he now rules as king. The resurrection is God's declaration that Jesus has won the war. Those powers of evil are already defeated. They still battle on. We are still part of that battle, but the war is won. Paul tells us that when Jesus returns, every dominion, authority and power will be destroyed. The resurrection guarantees their destruction. It guarantees the renewal of all things. Jesus' resurrection is a mini picture of perfected creation. A day is coming when we will see that completed in all its beauty and glory when we receive new bodies. Listen to the words of Isaiah, a prophet in the New Testament, who spoke of what the new creation would be like. He says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. Friends, what we celebrate today on Easter Sunday is a wonderful message of hope. The greatest message of hope that it's possible to have. Not only can we know that the shroud of death no longer holds us captive, that the very, one, the very thing every one of us fears has lost its claws and its teeth, but the things that cause pain in the world will also be crushed by Jesus the King. The senseless slaughter that we just prayed about in Ukraine of innocent civilians, the random cruelty of COVID that has snatched lives of so many away and caused desperate isolation, disruption, financial hardship for countless millions across the, the globe. Then there's the effects of climate change, floods on top of fires and drought, all caused by our selfish, short-sighted greed and obsession with economic growth. And finally, the sin and evil that are closer to home 
inside our own hearts, the things that we hate about ourselves, that sabotage our desire for love and intimacy and rob us of true satisfaction and fulfilment in life. All those things, friends, will be dealt with once and for all by Jesus when he brings in his kingdom in its completeness in the new creation. The resurrection guarantees all of that. But for that hope to become more than just a nice dream, for the resurrection to become your future, it has to be received as a gift. God holds that out to us as a free gift, but we have to accept it. Like a, a gift that you get on Christmas Day, you have to accept it right for, before it becomes yours. Well, if you're here today as someone who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus, he is inviting you to accept that gift. He is inviting you to find forgiveness for your sin in him. That's why he died on the cross. And he's holding his hands out to you to share in his resurrection, to have new life. We do that by repenting and believing. Repenting means to turn away from our sin towards following God and to live as Jesus, as our King, believing in him as the one who saves us. If you're here, if that's you today, and if, if you'd like to find out more about what that, that is about, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, or please talk to the person who invited you here today. And finally, a word about how can we experience the hope of the resurrection now? We've seen today that Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection in the future. But we've also seen that Jesus' rule as king has already begun. Even though we have to wait until Jesus' return, and, um, until we are resurrected, the hope of resurrection and the new beginning that Jesus has started is something that we can experience now. God's kingdom has already begun. Jesus' rule has begun. His defeat of sin, death and the powers of evil has already occurred at the cross. And because of that, the curse of Adam has been undone and God's work of restoration has already begun. There are many ways we can experience that restoration now. I just want to briefly mention two areas, healing and wholeness. We all carry the effects of sin around in our lives. Our own sin, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, envy, or, as I said before, the effects of being sinned against. But God wants us to experience his healing power now as a down payment of the new creation. When I first started out in ministry at Sydney Uni, I worked with a couple who were older than me and had quite a lot more experience than me. But for a whole bunch of reasons, we, we didn't get on well. Um, 
we didn't have a good relationship. And it got so bad that I got to the point where I wanted to move somewhere else because I found the relationship so difficult. I can't remember how it happened really, but somehow by God's grace, the relationship was restored. Not just to a point where we could relate civilly together, but I can say without exaggeration that this couple became our best friends for Julie and I. Now, it's nothing I did. I don't tell this story to try to claim credit for it in any way. It was entirely God bringing healing to me and perhaps to them too. And as I think about the freedom and relief and lightness that restoration brings, it really is a taste of the new beginning that Jesus has begun in his resurrection. Secondly, wholeness. In the perfect resurrected bodies that we'll have in the new creation, we will be the people that we were created to be. The effects of sin in this world now has stunted us, warped us, so that we can't love as we should. We can't serve and we can't give to others without it being affected in some way by our selfishness and self-protection. Friends, we won't ever be fully whole in this creation, but we can taste it now and we can begin to experience wholeness in God's kingdom now. When we experience the joy of loving others and giving of ourselves to others, when we begin to find fulfilment in serving God rather than our own ambitions, and as we taste the richness of deep relationships where we share life honestly and openly with brothers and sisters in Christ. As we engage in the work of the kingdom, we gain a vision for what it means to be a whole person, restored people, to know what it is to be fully human, to experience in part what it will be like in the resurrection, living in the new creation. There will be no more crying, no more pain. Frustration, loneliness and emptiness will be no more. Where death has been swallowed up forever by life. Friends, that's the hope of Easter Sunday. Amen.